welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. This is Kathleen Mercury, your host, who is currently exploring all of the wonders of distance learning as I try to give my students what they need, teach them where they are, and using games and hopefully lots of fun and immersive experiences to do so. And I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Scout Bloom, PhD, who is doing some really amazing work, not just with games and game design in her classes, but also in terms of how she's using games for outreach in her larger community, in the gaming community. There's so many wonderful things we get to talk about. Scout, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, I am very glad to be here, Kathleen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, and Scout and I have met um, at various events. Uh, but I think Gen Con Trade Day probably met yeah, there. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so, and just, and like having like little moments where it's like, here's a card, we need to talk, we need to talk. <laughs> and with both of us, especially Scout being so incredibly busy, it's been near impossible to try to like isolate a time. But then as soon as, you know, all of this happened with uh, the COVID and it's so funny, like, I don't even know what to call it, the COVIDs, the Corona. Um but when all this happened, I, and I realized I could probably get some really amazing guests on the show, and Scout was one of the first person, first people that I thought of um, to have on the show. So yeah, oh, I'm so excited thank because you. oh, of course, and this also gives us like a really great time just to be able to like selfishly talk and for me yeah. to mine your brain for ideas. So uh, let's start off well, by likewise. you introducing. Yeah, I think so I think you uh, and I too were going to meet at Proto ATL, and mm-hmm. that got canceled too. So yes, yes, everything is getting canceled. Everything quite rightly. Um, so let's, so, so, uh, if you don't mind, introduce yourself and talk about your background and what you do. Sure. So, um, I'm Scout Bloom. Uh, Scout, by the way, is from To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Mm -hmm. it is my, my dad fell in love with the character of the little girl. And so he told my mom that she could name me whatever she wanted to, but that they were going to call me Scout. And (laughs) they didn't think that it was going to stick, but it did. And so that's what I've always been called. It's kind of funny because I was a lot like her when I was as little. Um, I mm-hmm. still am, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, but, um, so I have a PhD in history, uh, from the University of Houston, and I am a history professor by trade, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, I teach mostly like 20th century American history. I do gender. Um, I do African American. Uh, my main area is in environmental history. So we study sort of man's interaction with the world. And, um, uh, my, my current history research is on children's activism, uh, in the environmental movement. So I'm sort of studying the roots of kids' activism. Uh, in the climate movement, basically today. Oh, that's fascinating! I'm it sure is very topical too. Very, very cool. Yes, and Happy Earth Day, by the way. Thank you. Uh, um, so that's sort of my history side of what I do. Um, through my history connections, I mm-hmm. um, was f- getting a little frustrated with my college classes, thinking that. You know, my kids were not as engaged as I wanted them to be in a traditional kind of lecture class. And I wanted to find Mm -hmm. some ways to increase their level of engagement and to, you know, help them have a bit more fun with history. Mm -hmm. So a colleague and I, one semester, she was teaching a modern Russia class and I was teaching a modern America class. And we got the classes together to play a sort of simulation, a game of the Cuban Missile Crisis 
where oh, wow. her side were the Russians and we were the Americans. And the kids just had so much fun with that role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into uh, – with a group of people uh, called Reacting to the Past, mm-hmm. which is basically a, a historical role-playing pedagogy. And there were a group of people within that group who also used board games in the classroom. And I had no conception. I mean, I played board games when I was little, but I had no conception of, you know, what board games were really like, modern board games. This was Mm -hmm. five or six years ago, I guess. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, they introduced me to what board games were and now and, you know, how they could be used in the classroom. And it's just sort of taken off from there. And we, um, you know, I've now started a game design minor at Troy University where I teach. So I teach a little bit of game design and um, uh, game development. And mm-hmm. so that is my academic side. And then I also have a little company called Mockingbird Games. Um, and uh, we basically do social justice kind of games. And we also work to empower kids by publishing their games. So it's it's a lot of work and, and a lot of excitement. But that's that's what I've been doing. Well, and what I think is so interesting is because you and I, our paths are not that dissimilar. Right. You know, I was looking for, and I teach middle school gifted kids, looking for ways for them to have interesting, complex problems to solve that weren't reliant upon them knowing huge amounts of text and that were things that would cause them to generate a lot of their own like output as far as actually making things or their own unique thoughts and all that. And so... In doing that and getting more and more into having my students design games, that's when I started getting into designing games. And then, you know, just all these different, you know, sorts of like avenues and everything sort of opened up for that. Um, So when it comes to your game design and your game development classes, what do you think has been the biggest surprise to you when it comes to like working with students in those classes, especially if you look back to who you used to be as far as just a history teacher, which obviously we know you weren't just, but just for the question. <laughs> um, the biggest surprise has been the depth of critical thinking that comes out of having them use games in the classroom. And I'll give you an example. Um, there was a student in one of my classes, one of the games classes, and he was, you know, a pretty average student, you know, not amazing, but not bad. Um, and so I had them do a project where they were just doing a proposal for a game. So it wasn't an entire big, huge, complicated Euro that they were making or something, but it was mm-hmm. basically they just had to come up with a proposal and they had to sort of think about the rules of a game and how a game might reflect that. I mean, how, how a game might reflect the history uh, from, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were doing a game on a specific history, historical period. And, um, his game that he picked was a bit of like Puerto Rico. He, mm-hmm. we had played that in class and he had really enjoyed it. But what he decided to do was to have the players, instead of all playing one colony, they were going to be doing multiple colonies. So he had a colony in Canada. He had, I think, St. Augustine. He had Jamestown. He had Plymouth. But he had to do, in order to make that game, he had to do a comparative approach 
to all of those colonies and to kind of see what the differences and similarities were with them and how they developed and who was there and what was going on. And it was just, that to me was just so cool because you could never get, you know, if, if I asked them an essay about what are the differences between Jamestown and Plymouth, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that would not have generated half of the critical thinking gosh, even 10% of the critical thinking that he did with that project. So for me, that is key. And I see that not only with, you know, my college students, but I do some work, you know, I teach like the merit badge classes for the Boy Scouts. And I see that with the younger kids too, that it's just a problem solving and critical thinking is just really um, enhanced and and Mm -hmm. sort of uh, it's, it's made a lot easier by the way you're doing it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I think too, because, you know, the classes that you teach, history through games, history of game design, you know, it still is like going down, you know, nestling in that road of, you know, of the intersection between the two, yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of how we use games to explore all types of complex, you know, ideas and situations and conflicts, but in a safe you know, sort of removed way because it takes place in a game context. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's interesting because one of the things that we talk about is gender in games and game design and gender in history. And I found what's interesting is I found my game classes tend to be mostly male. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm s- still, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed that I don't have more women. I have some really great young men in the classes. Um mm-hmm. But what I've found is that it helps them think about representation and gender and sexism in a way that they never really conceived of before. In other words, when we, like we read Tanya Pabuda's article about, um, you know, the, uh, of, of how many men are game designers and how many women are game designers and illustrators, you know, the, the statistics article that mm-hmm. she did. And they're just kind of, blown away thinking about you know there are more sheep on game covers than game boxes than women um yes so to me it's it's a way for them like you said to sort of get into some things that they might not get into and it's a bit safer than if i were to just launch into some feminist crusade about you know men being too dominant or something they would Mm -hmm. that that would be more threatening to them i think but right. Well, and, and doing it within games, too, is it's very practical. You know, we're not talking about this idea that someone is talking about, like, no, right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in this particular space, you know, make it representative. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then what, what does that representative mean and what is the impact on the game itself? Yeah. And I'll, I'll have them. What they've also found interesting is, like, I'll give them the first edition of Dominion. And mm-hmm. they go through and they count on the components, you know, how many women are there on the cards, how many men are there on the cards. And again, that kind of blows them away a little bit when they see that kind of specific example, when they hadn't noticed it before at all when we played. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to do some of those more concrete kind of exercises that open their eyes to things is is really useful, too. Yeah. So you also do a TV show mm-hmm. in addition to your... 18 other things. Um, <laughs> and and so I just think this is so interesting because this is your history through games. So now you're yes. taking these ideas, but trying to translate it to like the larger community audience. How does that present itself differently from your students to, you know, doing a more community oriented show? Does it matter in terms of how you present the types of games you use? How does that work? 
Um, a lot of the times we're using similar games to the ones that we are using in class. Mm-hmm. But we are we're doing it. So normally with the History Through Games show, what we do is it Aaron Taylor is our host and he's one of the journalists news guys at Troy. He's amazing. And then it's me. And then normally we have a guest come in. We've had students, we've had um, other professors, but we'll play the game. And the playing the game is the focus. It's the main sort of, you know, how we're doing the program. But we'll Mm -hmm. stop from time to time and say, oh, you know, this part of the game is kind of interesting because, you know, slavery didn't exist at the time or whatever. I guess it's a lot lighter than the in-class stuff, but it's also a way to sort of introduce a wider audience to history and some of the uses of history and how they maybe be, you know, could think about history um, as well, you know, when it comes to that. But um, you know, Aaron has well, said that it's it's been a very it's been really popular. Like they get calls from people about wanting it to be shown more. He said his five year old was binge watching it at one point. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, I thought that was very cute too. That's adorable. So, what are some uh, what are some examples of games that you use? And like, what would be some certain key points that you would maybe that you highlighted when you talked about different games? The first one we normally start off with is Settlers of Catan, mm-hmm. and I do that because. One, it's an amazing gateway game because it's easy to learn and it's fast and, you know, it's Mm -hmm. uh, the kids really love it. So we start off with Settlers of Catan and Mm -hmm. normally I set it up so that I have a lecture about something, we play the game, and then we kind of discuss the the connections. So with Settlers, we start off with a discussion of what the building blocks of civilization are, you know, what makes a civilization. So this is kind of a very broad history class that we were in. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I talked to them about the eight blocks of building civilizations like, you know, technology and urban centers and trade and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we play Catan and we look at, you know, what did Klaus Tuber put in that game as designer versus what were the real building blocks of civilization? So the kids can talk about, oh, you know, there's a lot of trade in the game. That's really important. And you see urban developments in um, in Catan. And then we also talk about what is missing. And I know I know you do the same thing, but one of the things we do is to say, okay, if you're going to make this more historically realistic, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have them kind of work through that process. And a lot of them talk about war, you know, that there's not war in the game and there's not like a fighting. And we talk about why. We talk about, mm-hmm. you know, Germany after World War II and Euro games not wanting conflict and that kind of stuff. So right. that's kind of the pattern that I do. But we do Catan – we do Dominion when we talk about the medieval period. Um, we've done and, – and we kind of – I try to get games that are different in mechanics and different mm-hmm. in difficulty level, too, as we go up um, through the semester. Um, Twilight Struggle when we do the Cold mm-hmm. War. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done um, Axis and Allies for a war game for World War II. Um. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, this reminds me of um, there's someone in, on BGG who, who's a war gamer. I've, I've actually played a couple war games lately, um, and uh, it's something that I just think is really interesting from a design standpoint. Like, I haven't decided, like, how much I really like them, you know, as far as because it's a very specific type of play. But there's some guy on BGG who is playing all war games, uh, but basically in chronological order. 
for World War II, like basically like almost like real time, like, okay, this battle takes place in this, you know, four year period. And then he plays that game and then talks about it, how it fits within the larger context. How cool. That was super interesting. Yeah. How fun is that? Yeah. Although, you know, those war games, they can just get so time consuming and so, I mean, I know people get really, really into them. They're not necessarily my cup of tea, but they, um, you know, they can get really (laughs) time consuming Mm -hmm. and detailed. Um, as a historian, well, as a historian, mm-hmm. they're not terribly useful history. You know, this this view of war as just moving little tanks around is not, mm-hmm. you know, that's not what historians think about. But, um, yeah, so. What yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, it could be a very, like, a few hours. Oh, yeah. A six-hour war game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's like, it's micro, you know, yeah. but like you know, blown out onto the table in a very macro sort of way. So that's yeah, that's interesting. Oh, um, we've done Ticket to Ride when we do uh-huh. urbanization and industrialization. Yeah, some city. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, we did this War of Mine, uh, the video mm-hmm. game. Um, I haven't played the board game yet. So yeah, I mean, we look at a whole different variety of games and mechanics to try to get them sort of accustomed to some of that vocabulary within gaming. That's so interesting. Are there any g- games you haven't covered for the show that you would like to? For the the TV show or for mm-hmm. one of the games? You know what I would really like to do is, because it's my area, is CO2. Um, I'd love to do that, the global warming, climate change, CO2 game. Mm-hmm. There's a game called Block by Block, which is kind of about protest, uh, urban protest. And mm-hmm. um, that one I'd like to do because it... It gets a little bit more into my field of activism and stuff. I think uh-huh. those would be cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I just I think this is such an interesting way to get games out into the larger community. So you've spent a lot of time then in terms of teaching game design and you know teaching others about game design or at least games that you know manifest history and all that. What was your first game design itself like? When did you get kind of the bug to start playing around with this? really early. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was I I was telling you about the experience that I had with that role-playing game with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably sort of, and that was very, very minimal kind of writing of a role-playing game. We sort of assigned characters and we didn't know much about what we were doing. So we just, you know, told them to go research their own characters and we knew what really happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis. So the kids would talk and decide something and we'd sort of direct them in a different direction or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what got me interested in writing. And I got involved in that reacting to the past group. And what I saw was that there were not games that, that, that I felt I needed for my own pedagogy, for my own, you know, coverage in classes. Mm -hmm. So I started writing games, writing role-playing games for them. I've written um, a game on um, Teapot Dome, which is a 1920s presidential scandal. Mm -hmm. A lot of similarities to what's going on today. It's really very topical. Um, I've done a um, role-playing game on, and these are all kind of in various stages, but I've done a role-playing game on um, the Kennedy-Khrushchev era in the early 60s, Um, a game on the uh, civil rights movement, the sort of tactics and rhetoric. So that Mm -hmm. was what got me really interested in design. And Mm -hmm. I really have been feeding off of some of the, my colleagues in that reacting to the past group and wanting to be very creative with mechanics and how those games came into play and also adapting some of the 
uh, board game mechanics into those role-playing games in the classroom. Like the, the Kennedy Khrushchev game that I did has, uh, cards that you, that the kids play. They have decks of cards and they play these cards from time to time and they're, they're random events that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and similar to something like in Twilight Struggle, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I've, I started with those role playing games and trying to integrate, um, different kinds of, uh, board game mechanics into those. Um, but just love that. And, and I, I really enjoy, doing creative things. So, you know, the game design of a board game came a lot more, came pretty naturally after that. That was just something that I really wanted to do. And I thought, you know, hey, if I'm teaching these kids how to do something, I better know how to do it. You know, I can't, I can't not design a game myself and then tell them how to do one themselves. Samesies. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have to, as a teacher, go through that process For me as a historian, you know, I have to go through the process of writing a book and publishing or I wouldn't feel comfortable, you know, editing my students' work necessarily, you know. I mean, that's at the college level. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really felt that game design was something I needed to do, one, because I enjoyed it and found it fun, but also because I needed to be able to tell the kids that, you know, here's my experience and here's what you need to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that was kind of where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and and so for the way the model that I use, I use Stanford's design school model uh, with my students, and it starts with empathy, understanding the needs of your user. And so I've got this new project that I'm working on that I'm going to give to my students. And in going through the process of this big idea that I have in terms of the practical reality of how I can have 12 and 13 year olds do this remotely from their homes, you know, <laughs> You have to do that, or or at least I know, like in the past, when I maybe in a rush and just try to put something together, I, I you know you have to understand that the first time you play these things will be a play test. So yeah, yeah. obviously, you know, understanding what you're wanting your students to do because I hate that expression. Those who can't do teach, yeah, I hate that expression. Well, and it's, it's not, not true either. Yeah. I mean, you know. No. Oh, it's, it's just done to, ugh, you know, to denigrate teachers, but that's a whole other story. Well, and sometimes uh, people who are really, really good at something do not know mm-hmm. how to teach at all because they've never had to struggle with it or never had to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I fight and struggle with my writing every single day and that's mm-hmm. just a normal thing. And I think if I didn't do that, if writing, if I could just, you know, spend six hours and write 300 pages, I mean, what kind of teacher would I be if I didn't know how to struggle and fail and fix things and, right. you know. So, oh, absolutely. Well, so, so what, what games, um, like have you worked on recently that you want to talk about? Um, I'm working on two now. Um, one of them is a game called Adopt Me, and that is a game about, um, uh, I entered that one in, uh, the board game workshop contest last year. I do that with my kids every semester. Normally the, the spring game development class, one of the things we do is enter this contest, the board game mm-hmm. workshop contest. Um, I entered it in that contest. This, it's a game about stray animals and you have to, they come into a shelter and you have to find them homes, happy homes. Um, and all the proceeds for that one, I'm planning on going to shelters. But anyway, that, mm-hmm. so that's one that I'm working on. I entered it in that, in the, contest last year it did really really well and got some amazing feedback and some amazing support it was like it ended up 
I think there were like 110 games. It ended up ninth. Um, so That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was so proud of how well it did. But I, the most important thing was the feedback that I got from the judges mm-hmm. and some really, really supportive feedback. Um, so I'm still working on that game and sort of finessing it. And, and uh, I have a friend who's working on the artwork uh, for it. Um, and then the other game that I'm working on that I'm real excited about right now, uh, other board game, is um, a game about the 1927 Mississippi flood, mm-hmm. which was one of the most disastrous environmental disasters. I mean, it was just catastrophic um, mm-hmm. and was very much um, kind of showed a lot of the racial divides within society. You know, a lot of the African-American families were just devastated and by the flooding. And it, it was, you know, kind of a, a, a really horrendous event, but that I'm working on a game on that about the, the flooding and the effects of, of that. So is it important to you that all of your games have some sort of like historical or social message to them? Yes. Um, I think, you know, one of the things with the company that I really, really wanted was that it be games for good, that, that we be a part of showing how games can better society and how games can either teach something that's useful or be a useful thing. Um, all of the kids' games that we do are uh, – we donate to charities through them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first game that we did, um, which was called Face to Face, mm-hmm. was um, – that one we donated to – it's kind of an animal game. You find the ecosystems where your animals are. That one we donated to the National Wildlife Federation. Um, we have a game coming out that's um, called Center Stage, which is a storytelling game set in the theater. And that one's going to benefit um, – there's a charity that Lin-Manuel Miranda is involved mm-hmm. in who uh, – to benefit Broadway actors. Um, and, you know, it's another charity as well. Um, we have another game that's in the very beginning stages about dogs in a dog park <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, a really cute worker placement game. Uh, no, roll and write game. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one is going to – the boy who designed that one is uh, his family's from Puerto Rico, and so it's going to go benefit a um, a dog charity in Puerto Rico that helps you know dogs that have been displaced during natural disasters. So I think for me, yes, I mean it is important to me to have games have a social good aspect to it. That 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 is that is sort of a way for me to pay back you know things and and to to help spread something, you know, to, to leave the world a better place in a small little way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm with you. Um, what have you not done yet that you would like to do? <laughs> um, rest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's, because, you, cause it, I mean, I think sometimes, and I think you're just such a wonderful example of, um, 
you know, you're creating opportunities just by doing things. And because you're doing something, it's finding an audience. And then from there, you know, you're, you're serving something of value. Others are seeing it. And the work that you're doing is expanding on and out. Um, not just because of what other people are seeing you do, but, you know, obviously through your own, own very hard efforts um, in terms of putting all this together, you know, but is there something that, is there a point that you're trying to work towards as far as all this, or are you just sort of open to, you know, however you can continue to explore the role of games and education and what you do, then you're just open to that. Uh, I think the main goal that, that I've sort of had on my mind this year mm-hmm. has been to take Mockingbird Games to be a nonprofit mm. um, and, and to formally turn it into a nonprofit uh, organization, which would help us. Um, you know, I, I never got into this to make money. I mean, we desperately need to make money because I'm spending a lot of money doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, you know, I, I, I want to make it nonprofit so that we will have grant money available to us and be able to work with other gaming nonprofits, uh, you know, in conjunction with them to, to help, you know, have, I don't know, summer school camps for kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's That's been the goal that we've wanted to do this year is to try mm-hmm. try to get that done. Either either take Mockingbird to nonprofit or make another nonprofit games for good kind of thing. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of something that's still related to to kill a bo- mockingbird and I just <laughs> always 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 wanted to dress up like a ham. Yeah. <laughs> on Halloween after reading that book. Yeah. I, I, I never had I, that urge, so. <laughs> I don't know how you can make that sound good. You know, hams for justice. I just, I don't know. Yeah, don't know I don't know. That, I, don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe Finches or some play uh, or Atticus okay. or something. I don't know. I think, oh, Finch is cool. I yeah. love that. Oh, because yeah. fin- actually that'd be nice. You know, Mockingbird Bird games. And, and Finches. And Finch games, you know. Um, well, it's funny because I've been doing a lot of Zooms with students and a lot of times they'll log on. Um, just to be there, just to hang out, just to, you know, see somebody uh-huh. else that isn't their family member. Yes, yes. And yes. And, uh, <laughs> and one of my most common, uh, one of my uh, most frequent visitors uh, has a chameleon and uh, a little yellow bird. I don't know what type of bird it is, but he's got a bird. So um, I always get to see how Pablo and Pina are doing. <laughs> And uh, it really it makes me want a bird, you know, because <laughs> it's like the bird's hanging upside down from his finger and giving him little kisses and all that. I'm like, oh, I know. Right. Well, let's <laughs> get back to the um, and I got all excited about the ham costume. That really was my favorite thing. <laughs> went. Um, well, I think this is really I think this is so amazing because it's be, it would be really easy to sort of keep yourself in your one lane, you know, as a history professor, you know, the sage on the stage, you know, that you know, approach, and you'd probably do very well there. But, um, you know, taking the initiative and all the hard work and the effort to really expand what you're doing for the benefit of your students, for the benefit of your community, for the benefit of humanity, especially considering the work that you're trying to do. If you have any advice for people who want to start to dabble in using more games in what they're doing, what advice would you have for them? Well, first, um, you know, you do the same thing. So you are also just amazing and, and an amazing inspiration for people because, you know, I, I see you and it gives me a lot of, you know, sort of confidence to, to be able to, and, and a lot of, you just, you have an amazing amount of resources to be able to, to help people too. So that is, is amazing as well. 
Um, advice, do you mean for people who are wanting to use games in the classroom or? Uh, yeah, for they're to design games for the classroom or design games on their own based on what you, lessons you've learned. I think, you know, what I would do is first play a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try to get an idea of what, um, what you like in games and what you find interesting in games. Mm-hmm. Try to f- play a lot of different levels of games, you know, war games and, you know, little simple games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that would be my first advice. Try to play a lot of, a big variety of, of games. What I would also to start out with, Try if you if you want to design a game for the classroom, try to do something that's very very much in your wheelhouse, <laughs> so that mm-hmm. you know d- if you are a historian, don't let your first game that you design be about the architecture of the Empire State Building. If you've never thought at all about architecture or whatever, mm-hmm. try to stay within your wheelhouse because for me. That makes it a lot easier. And one of the things that, um, you know, I've always been really inspired by was Brenda Romero's article about the mechanic being the message. Mm -hmm. In other words, one of the things that she said was that when you are designing a game, the way your players play needs to reflect what they're doing. In other words, don't have a mechanic in there that means nothing and that doesn't, you know, show your players, but how they're playing the game should make sense and should be the message of whatever theme you have or whatever the the players are supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And for history games, that's especially those, those were kind of the games that she did too, but those were, that's a really good message. And I think that if you stick to what you know at first, definitely with early games, then that makes that process easier because you have a better grounding in in the topic of the game that you're you're doing, and it's, um, I think that makes it a little more straightforward to then make the leap to a, a game and mechanics. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, I mean, right. So if you can see where the how the the, the thing that you want to make a game is a system, yes. then systems can be gamified. So you can yes. see what are the different exchanges, what are the different elements of conflict, and what game mechanics can you then overlay over that conflict where it's a simulation almost as far as what you're trying to do it doesn't feel dissimilar than you know what people actually do in that situation you right. don't have right 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 you're not you're not making a game where it's you know all theme and what the players are doing makes no sense you know right. i i have a couple of games that i really enjoy that are like that but mm-hmm. you know i think that it's I think that it's better and easier to make a game where you you try to link what the game is doing with, with the mechanics of the game. Right, right. So you don't have Go Fish that has some type of <laughs> historical theme badly pasted on top of it either. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. Right, exactly. Well, Scout, this has been so incredibly interesting and informative and really in, and, and inspirational too because I just, I love that, you're so driven for your passion about what, you know, the world, you know, I always say one of the difficulties my students often have is there's the world we want and the world we have and reconciling those two is uh, one of the, can be one of their greatest difficulties. It can be, you know, for us as well. But what I love is you are doing everything possible to not wait for that 
you know, resolution to just happen on its own. You're doing everything possible so that you can make the world we have be the world that we want. And I can't think of anything better. Oh, well, thank you. What a very nice thing to say. And and I'm really glad that we got the chance to talk a, a little bit. This was really nice and inspiring. I'm so glad because we're, you know, we're both in uh, remote learning. We're both here in the thick of it. And, uh, and it's good to remember that uh, we're going to be okay and we can solve <laughs> problems creatively. And if we teach with love in our hearts yeah. and our grade books and yes. our approaches and meeting students where they are and doing what we can, um, then we're going to hopefully do a lot of good for other people as we push through to the other side. And we will come out on the other side. So, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I look forward to working with you more too. Because oh, I, I do too. A lot of fun things we can do, especially with uh, students and games and all that. So we can talk about that more later. So yeah, I would, I would very much like that. Yes, please. That would be wonderful. Yay. Oh my gosh. What a good day. Ah, good talk. All right. So (laughs) Scout, (laughs) so for people who want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? So I am on Facebook uh, and Mockingbird Games has a Facebook page too. Mm -hmm. Um, So Scout Bloom and Mockingbird Games uh, with the Facebook. uh, With uh, Twitter, I have a Twitter account. It's just at Scout Bloom, one word. Um, I need to get one for the company too, but haven't done that yet. Um, Yeah, but then you have to manage too and who wants that. Oh, I know. And then you have to sort of think – Okay, do I want to say this with the company? And do I want to say this with me? And um, yeah. yeah. And uh, social media, where else are we? I think, yeah, we have a website, um, which needs to be redone. One of the bazillion things that I need to do. Um, yeah. It's www.mockingbird-games.com. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, this has been a very, very good day. This is uh, Kathleen Mercury, and you can find me in all of my game design teaching resources at KathleenMercury.com. Um, and I'm always happy to collaborate and help if you are wanting to teach game design. If you're curious about how to get started, please reach out to me. It is truly a great pleasure for me to be able to help others. Um, so please uh, search me up if it's something that you're interested in. Um, and with that, this has been another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. Do the best you can to keep having fun, keep being safe as much as you can, and just you know, show as much love to yourself as you do your students in this difficult time, and we will be okay. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilop, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. 